Hello and welcome to season three of Family Twist, a podcast about DNA surprises, found family, and amazing adoption stories. I'm Kendall Austin Stulse, and my partner is Corey Stulse. We've had fabulous guests during seasons one and two. We're sharing stories of people who identify as NPEs, also called not parent expected, others who found out they were donor conceived and have surprise siblings, and even others with unique family twists. We started this podcast to spotlight Kendall's adoption story and his discovering both sides of his biological family in 2017. So if you're just finding the podcast, we encourage you to start with episode one to learn more about Kendall's journey. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Family Twists. Today, we're really happy to have Dr. Katie Null with us. If you have not seen her TED Talks, check them out. And actually, her website is a really great spot to see the services that she offers, from speaking engagements to training sessions and lots of other great information on there. So check out drnall, D-R-N-A-L-L dot com. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative of being here and understanding that other people have family twists like me. <laughs> Absolutely. It just seems like more and more are popping out of the woodwork every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. We're so happy with the people that have found us and expressed interest in oh. telling their stories. It's heartwarming for me <laughs> as the yeah. adoptee. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. You know. I'm assuming a lot of your listeners wouldn't necessarily have heard that side of your story. Maybe not. <laughs> so, uh, gosh, we can go back to the beginning. Where do you want to start? Well, so I was born in Kansas. I found out later that I was conceived in San Francisco and that my mother and father were excited about the pregnancy until my father told his mother, my paternal grandmother, and she insisted that my mother have an abortion because she was too young to be a grandmother. Oh. My mother was raised as a strict Catholic, a rebellious but strict Catholic. <laughs> and felt that that was wrong. I'm going to date myself here, but this was in the early 1950s. So back then, women couldn't have credit cards, right, without having a male sign off on them. And if my mother was working, it was probably in a very low-paying job. So she asked my father to borrow the car to go get some cigarettes, because that's what you did back then, right? And she drove from San Francisco to Southeast Kansas. And it's only been recently that I had to stop and think about what that trip was like for a young woman in her 20s driving by herself. She didn't have a credit card. How did she pay for gas? Where did she sleep? How did she do all that? But she drove back to Southeast Kansas, back to her parents, announced that she was there. And oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. And I just left my husband. None of which I'm sure was exciting for my grandparents to hear. She later on, uh, a couple of years later, married the man that I knew as dad. Although I always thought it was weird that we all had different last names, but I never questioned it. I just thought that that's what everybody did, right? My mother continued to marry and divorce. She ended up marrying a divorce for people. And then in the late 1990s, she died. Now, right before she died, my father died. I didn't meet him until I was 14 years old. And then I got a chance to live near him in San Diego when I was 18 or 19. And he died soon afterwards in the late 1970s. After he died and we were going through his paperwork, we found that the year I was born, I was born in December, he had given up another child for adoption. So that meant 
<laughs> that sometime before I was born, he had been active, shall we say, <laughs> and had another child for adoption. My half-sister on that side found the now person and knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm so excited to meet you. I'm your half-sister. And um, he shut the door and said, I'm happy with him alive. Thank you. No, thank you. And so you dismiss it, right? Because you don't know him. You don't have any idea of what it is. My mother died. We went through her papers. There's nothing unusual except, you know, just confirmation of we knew how crazy she was. <laughs> <laughs> and a few years later, I get a phone call from my half-sister. I'm biologically an only child, but it was my half-sister I was raised with. And she said, are you sitting down? I'm like, oh my gosh, what is it now? You know, when you live in a life full of drama and trauma, you just like, okay, we roll with the punches. And she said, I just got a phone call from somebody who said he was our brother. Now, myself and my half-sister, we had a shared brother. He was my half-brother, her full brother. And I said, from our brother? She said, no, no, no. This is an additional brother. I said, what are you talking about? It turns out that when I was 12 years old, now 12 years old, you kind of have some idea what's going on in life. My half-sister was 10 and my half-brother was eight. My mother, who was always very proud of her petite figure, somehow hid her pregnancy, gave birth, and gave a child up for adoption an actress in Kansas. And this person had grown up with wonderful, wonderful adoptive parents. I mean, they were fabulous and loved him and just were really great with him. And he had a mission to find his birth parents. Well, he went back to the orphanage and the orphanage was a Catholic orphanage and said, we don't release any of that information. And he was determined. So he went back to Atchison, Kansas. And in Kansas at the time, a few years ago, I don't know if they still do it or not, they had paper clipped his original birth certificate to his adopted birth certificate. And from that, he got the name of his birth father. Last name was Wood, W-O-O-D. And his birth mother, her maiden name was Comac, K-O-M-A-C. Well, he went through a lot of telephone books to look for Wood, figured out he could do better on the internet and couldn't find a match. I mean, there's so many people with the last name of Wood, right? It was fruitless. But then he came up with Comac. Now that's unusual, K-O-M-A-C. And he got a list from the internet of everybody in the United States with the last name of Comac. And it was the fourth name down that he called Uncle Buddy. Uncle Buddy was living in Escondido, California at the time. And he said, is there any chance you know anyone by the name of Joanne Comac? And he's like, oh my God, that's my sister. What did she do now? <laughs> it was pure luck, right? Uncle Buddy had some contact information to my sister, Debbie. So our new brother, Jim, contacted Debbie and told her the story, which she had no problem believing. Me, on the other hand, I'm a little bit of a skeptic. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, yeah. And it's not that I'm a millionaire or anywhere close to it. But, you know, you're a little hesitant if somebody comes up to the door and says, hey, I'm your newfound brother. I'm like, oh, well, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the birth certificate, I recognize the signatures of both my mother and my stepdad at the time. Hmm. And it all started making sense. We moved a lot. I attended 12 different schools in five different states growing up. And the time we were in Atchison, Kansas, we must have moved there briefly for her to give birth. And then we moved on to another place. So it was kind of like, oh, you know, as an adult, I'm putting all these pieces together and thinking, oh my gosh, 
what a logistical nightmare. And especially back then, right? They didn't have the internet. They didn't have all this stuff. So to figure all this stuff out on their own, I mean, bravo. (laughs) And my brother, Jim, looks exactly like me. He's the only one of my half siblings who has any physical resemblance to me. And we have different fathers. So I guess my mother's genes came down pretty strongly on that one. Now, what's interesting, Corey and Kendall, is that when mom died, we went through, she was very much into jewelry. And we went through the charm bracelet that she wore. It was very fashionable at the time. A lot of women had a bracelet that they wore around their wrist that had different charms depicting different events in their lives. Very popular thing to do back then. She had a charm that was a silhouette of a little girl with a ponytail with my name on the front and on the back was my birthday. She had another silhouette of a little girl with a ponytail with my sister's name on the front and her birthday on the back. And then she had a silhouette of a little boy with my brother's name and his birthday on the back. And then there was a completely round circle, Hmm. no depiction at all. And all it had was a birthday. And it was the birthday of Jim who found us. Oh, Wow. Both my father and my mother went to their death without telling anybody at all about their pregnancies and their adoptive births. My father didn't have any siblings, but my mother had lots of siblings who she would call on frequently for assistance, as you might imagine, with her lifestyle. (laughs) And so they felt like they had an intimate knowledge of her and what was going on because she would call every few weeks for money, for assistance, for this, for that. When my brother Jim appeared on the scene and he started visiting all of these aunts and uncles, they're like, who are you and where did you come from? So she never told a soul. She went to her grave, yeah, not telling anybody at all. Now, we had a relationship with my brother Jim for a while. He had married and had eight children. I think he was making up for those weeks that he was in the orphanage. And apparently the report is that he was adopted at six weeks. And at that point, he had failure thrive, which comes from lack of touching, attention, and you know, caring. And I think it probably left a permanent psychological mark on him. After we all met and we got together, my sister and I were talking. She said, what do you think we should tell him? I said, you know what? He knows nothing. We could make up like this fairy tale story. <laughs> Yeah, about, you know, what our life was like and how grand it was and everything. But instead, we decided to tell them the truth. And in comparison, we're like, we would have liked to have been adopted by your parents. (laughs) You had a fabulous life. Now, Jim and his wife with their eight children, he divorced his wife when she was pregnant with the eighth child and just kind of went off on another venture, I guess. From what I understand, because he hasn't kept up with us, he's in the Philippines now with his new wife. So, yeah. Yeah. So we've had the experience of having each parent giving up a child for adoption and had both experiences of not knowing anything about my father's child and then knowing a lot about my mother's child. And I have kept up with his children and maintained relationships with them as my nieces and nephews. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. What's interesting is as a result, so my mother had three children that she told everybody about, me, my sister, and brother. All three of us are in long-term marriages and have had a lot of stability. We moved and we didn't move again. So it's kind of like the life lessons that we learned, right? Yeah. I was just going to say, there's a lot to unpack here. (laughs) (laughs) 
can we go back to your birth father? So here's this guy. His wife says, I'm going to go out to get cigarettes. Obviously, days go by. <laughs> she does not yeah. return. How does, he re- how does he find out what happened? I've been told that a few times after I was born, apparently my mom reached out to him to let him know he had a daughter. And he telegrammed or whatever back and said, oh, I'm so excited. I'd like to come see her. So I'm told that he came to see me, picked me up and said, oh, isn't she adorable? Put me down and said, can I borrow the car? I need some cigarettes. (laughs) And he drove his car back to San Francisco. (laughs) Two very clever individuals. (laughs) And so when did they get divorced? You know, that's really interesting. As we went through my mother's paperwork, they got divorced just shortly before she married her second husband. Her third husband she married before the second divorce was finalized. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, this was back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, right? And I think my mom just probably should have messed around before she got married because I think her Catholic upbringing was you need to be married all the time. (laughs) So I'm just making sure I understood. You are connected to your father's other child. No, no. He was the one who shut the door on us. So my father apparently had a birth before I was born and gave that child up for adoption. It was a boy. Then I was born. And then about six years later, he married his second. Well, no, but shortly after I was born, he married his second wife who had a child that we found out later that was not my dad's. So he was somebody else's. And then they had a child together, my sister. And my sister died an early death at 49, same age that my dad died of alcoholism. Um, my stepmother, my father's second wife, was a kind, sweet soul who had been badly, continuously abused her entire life. And so she used drugs and alcohol to dull the pain. And at the time, was living in San Diego, became a mule or carrier for drugs and was jailed for many years. And, you know, it's really sad once you dig deeper and know the full story, right, of people and how challenging their lives are and what limited options are available for healing and how we don't embrace people and let them know that this isn't who you really are. You know, this isn't who you really are. And would you like to have help to get out of that pain? I've learned a lot. Um, just kind of going back through my family history. And I will tell you that I hated my mom for only about, I don't know, 65, 66 years. (laughs) Until I started thinking about, until I got enough distance. And I I will tell you, I'm a master trainer in something called emotional freedom technique. And that allowed me to release some of the negative emotions. Once I was able to release the negative emotions and get some distance to how I was feeling about everything, that's when I started thinking, oh my gosh, how does a single woman in her 20s who's pregnant, but obviously is not showing it at the time, how does she drive a stolen car from San Francisco down to Southeast Kansas? And then talking to my cousin as we're getting together and putting pieces together, my cousin said, you know, I was going through grandma and grandpa's papers and I found a Western Union note from San Francisco where my mom was asking for money. And I was like, okay. But how did she know how much money to ask for, you know, to to get gas? And back then, you know, you don't pump your own gas. There was somebody 
pumping gas and you, you know, where did she sleep? Did she sleep in the car the whole time? And, you know, all these questions come up. So when you kind of take a step back and look at it from that perspective, and my dad, who I think was terribly emotionally abused as a child, when he was five years old, his mother sent him to boarding school. Can you imagine being five years old in boarding school? And so I can imagine that that gave him an emotional barrier, right? That's how he handled life. So when somebody said they're giving a, a child for adoption, he was like, whatever. And when somebody, you know... So I think about the times that they were living in and the criteria that the culture imposed upon people. And so your mother's second husband, that's the yes. father of your sister? Yes. Uh-huh. And brother or? Sister and brother. And then the third husband is the father of the one they gave up for adoption. Right. Okay. Okay. Just, yeah, yeah I kind of wanted to. I know. I tell everyone I come from a large family. I have seven half sisters and eight parents so <laughs> yeah your family had a look a little wackadoo <laughs> oh, yeah it's oh, a vibe yeah. <laughs> right. yeah yeah exactly and it's a clingy line i mean it's all over the place it's... <laughs> i'm probably related to you guys too so <laughs> was there ever a time as an adult where you felt like you could sit down with your mother and just kind of talk about what was going on in her head when she was young and stuff or was you just there was never that kind of relationship my mother was a narcissistic alcoholic for my own emotional safety, I had to, I phrase, emotionally divorce her in order for me to continue. I left home when I was in high school and was homeless living under the trees in Nebraska, where we were living at the time until, and we just moved there. So I was just making new friends again. And uh, as I was making new friends, they were figuring out where I was living. And they said, oh, why, why don't you stay with us. So I could stay with friends for a couple of days until their parents figured out what the heck was going on. They're like, hit the road, lady. Or go back home. They all said, go back home. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> the one thing I noticed, Corey and Kendall, is that when I kind of looked around at other people's living arrangements, the biggest difference I could find is everybody else had more education than my mother did. You know, she was a secretary. She went to college for one year. I mean, her whole focus, I'm sure, was survival. It had to be. It had to be. Because God bless her. It didn't matter where she went or who she was married to. She drugged the three of us around with her the whole time. I mean, that took a lot of courage and a lot of guts, right? Because she could have just said, okay, I'm done. You guys figure it out, which some people do. But she drugged us around. And I thought education seems to be this defining mark here. I'm going to get as much education as I can. So I was a junior in high school. I went to the high school counselors and I just told them everything. I said, look, I'm homeless. I need a place to live to graduate from high school. So they got me set up with a foster family. So I lived with the foster family until I graduated. I went to my high school graduation on a Friday night. None of my family came. And Saturday morning, I got on a plane because my father said, if you live in San Diego with me, I'll pay for your college. I was like, what's the downside on this, right? <laughs> I'm out in Nebraska. I'm in San Diego. You're paying for college. This is great. So I hopped on a plane, flew out to San Diego, and my dad picked me up in his car. And I'm telling you, for the first time in my life, I felt like I was cool. Because here's my dad with this really thick, wonderful beard. He looked like a little hippie. Puts me in a little Italian sports car, you know, and we're driving away from San Diego. Now, I knew he lived in San Diego because I was writing him letters at that time because I knew about him and I knew what was going on. 
was like, where are we going? And then it dawned on me, he's driving me Poway, which is where he and his second wife were living, which I thought was weird. His second wife, they had been divorced by then. And the reason why they divorced was because she had just gotten out of jail from a hung jury. It was a one-year trial where she had been accused of hiring a hitman to kill my father. So my father was driving me out to Poway to live with her. I'd never met her before. I'd never met my half-brother, my half-sister. They did not know I existed until I walked in the front door. And I'm like, hey, I'm Katie and I'm from the Midwest. And hey, this is going to be great. And they're like, who are you and what are you doing here? And of course, my poor stepmother right? This is a woman who's in so much pain anyway. She probably did hire a hitman because the last person that the hitman hired was an undercover cop, which is how the whole thing got. Yeah, I know. So I landed in this little tiny town and all my life, all I've been in little tiny towns because you want to be a secret, right? You can't tell anybody about your life or what's going on. You, everything's a secret. Everything's a secret. So I'm in another little tiny town, which is okay because dad is going to pay for college. And I go there and I'm looking around this little tiny town and I'm like, so where's the college? And they go, oh, it's in Escondido, 20 miles away. And I'm like, that's great because I never had a car in my life. I'm like, so where's my car? They're like, no car. Now you guys lived in San Francisco, so you know what it's like down there. There's no bus. There's no bicycle trails. There's nothing. I knew education was going to get me out of what I was in. So my father did pay for junior college at the time. And at that time, junior college was $2 a semester. And that covered my health insurance. So he paid for that. He bought some of my books. And I hitchhiked 20 miles one way and 20 miles the other way to get back and forth to school. Corey and Kendall, I got to tell you, that probably wasn't my most brilliant idea. Because I'm like this perky little Midwestern and, you know, I'll, I'll like, thinking, oh, oh, good, right? Half the time it was a highway patrol picking me up saying, what the heck are you doing out here? And I'm like, I'm going to school. The other time, half the time I'm sitting in the back of the van thinking, this probably isn't a great idea. And I really hope they let me off at the right place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. But but, it was a bit of a different time though too, right? Oh, right, 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 right. Still, you know, a lot of crazies out there. So I, I did this until my neighbor, I didn't put all this together. I am just so Midwestern. <laughs> I just, <laughs> but my, our next door neighbor, you know, I'm, I'm living with my stepmom and half brother and half sister. And my stepmom is trying to recruit me to help out with the drug mules. And oh, by the way, are you interested in porn? And I'm like, no, I'm I'm good, you know. So she's trying to get me to my one. I'm like, I think I'm okay with that. Um, but the neighbors were an older couple, a young lady, and a baby. And I thought, oh, isn't that sweet? Didn't dawn on me that the baby belongs to the young lady, right? But the young lady says, oh, I'm going to go to dances. Would you like to go? And I'm like, yeah, sure. This is going to be fun. So San Diego, what do we have? We have surfers, sailors, and officers. Surfers have no money, and all they want to do is surf. Sailors have no money, and we know what they want to do. Officers have money. So she took me to the officers club and had dance. It was a lot of fun. 
And then this one guy asked me on a date. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. I live all the way in Poway, you know, 20 miles away. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll pick you up on Friday. It's only been recently that I've been diagnosed with celiac. And at the time, my symptoms were, I could fall asleep like that. I mean, I almost fell asleep standing. It was not unusual for me to take naps in the middle of the day or, you know, I fell asleep everywhere. So I found out the next day that this really good looking guy came to the door, asked to take me on a date. And my sister at the time said, truthfully, she's asleep. And he's like, of course she is. And left in a huff. I didn't think anything about it because things like that just don't register with me. (laughs) And my next door neighbor said, hey, there's a dance in another place on the other side of town. Would you like to go? And I'm like, of course. So we go and this really good looking guy comes up to me and asks for an apology. And I'm like, for what? And so he explains who he is because I don't remember diddly. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry, but I fell asleep all the time. And he's like, of course you do. So but we dated off and on for a while. He heard my story and he's like, you know what? I'm going out to sea in a week and I was going to put my car in storage. Why don't you use it? Wow. What? You got what? What? You're gonna let me use your car? So for three months, I had a car. Now in those three months, we wrote letters back and forth, and that's really how we got to know each other. This past summer, we celebrated our 49th wedding anniversary. Oh wow! <laughs> Congratulations. Oh no, it was a mistake. The only reason we got married. The only reason we got married was because we were living together at the time, learning from my mother, and he kept asking me to marry him. And I said, no, you don't understand. I'm not getting married. My parents married and divorced. My grandparents married and divorced. My great-grandparents married and divorced. I'm on a career path. I'm like, I've read the women's room. I'm like moving on. And if you want to come along, that's great, but we're not getting married. Until he came home one day and he said, you know what I found out? I said, what? If we're married, we get an extra $155 a month. I'm like, well, why did you say so? (laughs) So I I married for money for $155 a month, which allowed us to buy a brand new 1973 TR6. So that was fun. And I gave a condition that once we're married, we will stay married until you're out of the Navy because there's no reason to be married after that, right? right? We're not getting an extra 155. We're not going to get married. So he said, he said, fine. Well, like this guy's desperate. So <laughs> he's getting ready to get out of the Navy. I'm thinking about a hundred other things. Divorce is like the last thing on my list. Because if you've seen my website, you know, I'm into four to hundred different things, right? And he says, so the Navy will move us anywhere we want to go. Where would you like to go? And I said, Without putting all the dots together, San Francisco sounds nice. And he said, yeah, let's move there. So he had the Navy move us to San Francisco. Once we drove across the line, and you guys will understand this because San Francisco, right? I looked at him and I said, I'm home now. I'm getting chills just talking about it. And it wasn't until about two years ago that I put it together. I was conceived in San Francisco. And that's why it felt like home, right? So we lived there for a couple of years. I finished my bachelor's degree in math at San Francisco State. Go Gators. And thought, okay, well, I can do this because he's like now a veteran and we're getting a little extra money because of that. And so this will be okay. And then he said he wanted to go to law school. And I was like, law school? Well, you might be making some real money here. So 
gripping. I'll hold on and see what's going on. I'm thinking I'm going to live the rest of my life in California, right? Because it's been nothing but happiness and joy and wonderful out here. So he applies to 11 different law schools. One of them is in California. 10 of them are back in the South where he's from. He's from Alabama. And you know, he was accepted to 10 of them and not accepted to one of them. Can you guess which one? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so there we go, trooping back to Georgia, which I'd never been to before. But I thought, well, I can earn my master's degree while they're paying me. So I got my master's in statistics from the University of Georgia. And when I was 18 years old and living in a foster home, I had read somewhere that if you write down your goals, you're going to have a much greater chance of attaining them. So my number one goal was to earn my PhD. I had no idea what a PhD was, but I just knew that was the highest level you could get, right? And education was going to change my life. Number two, I said I was going to buy a house. And I put in parentheses, I didn't care if I had furniture or not. Now, you can see with all the different places that we lived, buying a house, that sense of stability was going to be important. Number three was I was going to have a car paid for because my entire life was on layaway. My birthday's in December. Frequently, my birthday present was a picture from the Sears catalog of what I was going to get for Christmas. Anything I had to do, you know, we didn't have credit cards, so everything we put on layaway. We went to Kmart and put things on layaway, okay? That was my life. That's how we did things. So I wanted to have a car that was paid for. Number four, I can't remember because, you know, who knows? And number five, I said, by the time I'm 25, I'm going to begin dating because, right, I saw what my mother went through. I wasn't going to do that. Well, here's real life. By the time I'm 25, I was at least working on my master's degree. So, okay, I'm working towards it. That's good. Number two, I didn't have a house, but we were managers of an apartment complex, so we didn't have to pay rent. I'm like, okay. Number three, we had the TR6. It was paid for. Yes, that was great. Number four, can't remember. Number five, by the time I was 25, I've been married five years and was pregnant with my first. Did you hear me say anything at all? I think, no, no. So, I mean, now I'm not embarrassed at all to say that this December I turned 70. I'm so excited about it. I have three amazing grown children, all of whom still speak to me. They have married exactly the right people for who they are. And they have presented us with five adorable granddaughters. I am living the life. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Literally just last week, my sister and I helped my mom celebrate her 70th. Oh. Took her to see in Nashville. So I'm one of three and we all still speak. <laughs> we, all, we had a nice birthday dinner with the last week. So. Yeah. You know, that's an important part about still speaking to your mom because I stopped speaking to my mom. I was like, I can't afford the emotional drain. It's like too much. Yeah. So that was great that you did that with your mom. Yeah. We do talk on the phone at least once a week. Well, she's, she's a talker. She <laughs> is so fun though. I am very fortunate to have her and all of his family oh. in my life. Especially before I found mine, you know, yeah, I right. thought I was an only child and buried my parents when they were quite young. I was 10 and 16. And, you know, so I won't say I was alone, but, yeah. you know, yeah. it was very different. And coming into Corey's family was fantastic and still is. And, you know, people have horrible mothers-in-law stories and I don't have those. <laughs> not with this one. I have them from the board. Not, not now. Well, my mother-in-law was definitely an angel on earth. And every time I went to divorce Bob, because, you know, I told him at two years, we're getting a divorce. So now we just do annual updates and see what kind of things need to be refreshed. 
<laughs> but every time I wanted a divorce, I said, okay, I get the three kids and your mother. He's like, you can't have my mother. I'm like, well, I have to have her. We're going to go away. <laughs> what a wonderful thing, yeah. especially because you yeah. were lacking that yeah. in your own yeah, life. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't believe in fate, but I do love when it comes together like that. <laughs> yeah. It is good. And you have good relationships with your half siblings. As you said, they all have stable lives as well. Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. My sister and I talk probably five or six times a week. My sister and I have similar political beliefs. My brother is a truck driver from Oklahoma. And so when we talk, we don't talk politics. So we do have that, that we kind of dance around. I've talked to him a few times about different things and he's very happy where he is. And so my job is to love him where he is. And that's sometimes challenging. <laughs> Yeah. With me. <laughs> and I tell people, I said, if you want to go to the most Christian city I've ever lived in, it's San Francisco. I said, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. They love you. And I, I remember going to free concerts in the park. We lived on Vicente and I just bicycled to school back and forth. And so I go to free concerts in the park and sitting next to me, it's like this little sweet little old lady with her white gloves and her little hat and her matching outfit and her little purse. And on the other side is this gigantic monster of a person with nails around their neck. And we're all enjoying the music together. I said, I've never been any place that is so loving and giving as San Francisco is. Now, I haven't been back there for probably 25 years. We took all the kids back there when they were in high school. My son at the time was nearly 16. And so he couldn't sit with us on the bus ride. So he sat with the bus and a guy came on board with a, a clown hat and a whole regalia and they started up a great conversation. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what it's like. <laughs> we feel exactly the same yeah. way. We miss it every day. I mean, of course, we're happy to be here in New England. And it was part of my family that brought us oh. here because my father and two of his other children live near us. Oh. So it's been, of course, wonderful to connect with them. And for instance, this coming Friday night, we're going to go watch my nephew, who's a junior in high school, is now playing varsity football. So we're going to go watch one of his home games. Those are the things that I didn't have mm -hmm. in my life before. And really, Corey only has one biological niece and not that we're physically close to her anyway. But I mean, it's just experiences that we value a lot. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, I get that. I'm kind of hoping we have a, a half sibling. I don't care who's half sibling pops up in San Francisco. So we have an excuse to move back there. <laughs> it, it could happen. You never know. Well, well, this has been just wow. What a story. Yeah. I mean, well, you asked for a twist, right? <laughs> it was several. <laughs> We're still reading. <laughs> interesting story and so separate from your professional life. I don't know. I love when people get to disclose things that are so, you know, personal. And when people are as open about it as you have been, I think it's particularly helpful to others. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you're just a joke. Well, yeah, I'm going to tell my husband that. <laughs> I'll remind him of that later today. <laughs>
Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I know Tony Robbins tells a story. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's interesting that there was a criminal who did horrible things and went to jail, but he had twin boys. And one of the sons became a criminal and also went to jail. And the other son worked really hard and became an upstanding citizen contributing to the community. And a social worker came and asked each son, why did you turn out the way you did? And each of them had the same answer. Well, just look at my father and you'll understand why I did what I did. So I think we each have a choice on what we want to do. I've also done a lot of research on brain and what happens during your first year. So I think about my half-brother who was adopted, who had failure to thrive, and he had some issues now struggling. And so I'm really focused on that first year of life. So if a child is born, it's our duty as a community, as a culture, as who we are, to make sure that first year is as nurturing and loving, as kind as it can be, if we want to have citizens who are contributing members of society. I feel exactly the same way. Actually, what you just said makes me, I already adored my adoptive parents, but they couldn't have been better to me during that period. They got me when I was two months yeah. old and I was not a well baby. They didn't know it, but they were going to struggle with some issues immediately. But from an emotional support perspective, they were just wonderful, wonderful people who adored me. Now, the first two months, what happened, Kendall? Well, apparently the story goes that I spent the first month of my life in one orphanage and then the second month in a separate or wow. orphanage and my parents went to that spot and picked me up. So those orphanages were very, very good to you as well. They must have been when yes. I think about it, because I had to have been premature. I mean, you can tell by my weight that I premature. Nobody has really confirmed that. My parents believe that that was true. And I don't know if that contributed to some of the health issues that I had, but I used to joke with my parents as I got to be five or six and said, thank you so much for keeping me. You know what I mean? As if most people who were interested in adoption would have just handed the baby back because right. he was ill. I knew already about them that they were not those kind of people. They were like, as soon as we touched you, you were our baby. You know, oh, yeah, they, oh. they were very, very kind. Oh. Oh. My mother my mother, who died young, she was 46. Mm. She'd already won a Jefferson Award for community activity and service. Yeah. They were just very, very giving people selfless, really. Yeah. 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 I couldn't have asked for better ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah. deserve them. So that's yeah, great. Thank you. That's great. that's great. You know, to your point, I was a sociology student in college and grad school. And I really, of course, the biological things matter, but I think about the nurture side of mm -hmm. my equation yeah. and it matters so much. Oh, yeah. And I'm so similar to my adoptive parents when I think about it from a personality perspective, interests and that sort of thing. So I love both sides of the nurture and nature. Right. I won't even call it an argument, but, you know, approach. And I'm seeing evidence of both. Nice. You know, yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I'd love to have you back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're launching season two, but we're already thinking ahead to season three. Well, I'll tell you what, if you ask me back, I will give you a demonstration of tapping if you haven't seen it yet. And it might be helpful for your audience members who are struggling with the emotional piece of not being able to get that emotional distance and see things. So, yeah. Holler and I'll be glad to be back. Great. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Excellent. Very good.
Well, have a, a great weekend and do tease your husband about what we've spoken about. <laughs> I will tell. I'll let him know what a joy he has. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Family Twist. We feature original music by Cosmic Afterthoughts. And Family Twist is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. Check out our website at familytwistpodcast.com for blog posts and all of our episodes.